Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and thank you for tuning in to episode 3 of Margaret's Garden. Just a quick reminder, episodes are uploaded every two weeks, but if you're interested in getting early and ad-free access, head to midnightdisease.net slash join. And there, for only $5 a month, you can get early and ad-free access, plus pins, postcards, and much, much more, for all of our Midnight Disease shows, such as Margaret's Garden, Out of Place, The Theater of Tomorrow, and The Hotel. And you can even hear your name on the show of your choice. A little bit more about that on our website, so again, if you're interested in supporting the show, head to midnightdisease.net slash join. But without further ado, I present to you... Episode 3. Not like this. Fuck me. In case you've forgotten where we are, well... It's actually a little unclear at the moment, but we're somewhere far, far from home. Just outside of the quaint, albeit run-down, seaside town of Shoresville. What we know is a little clearer than where we are. We know that Agents Washington and Harris are slowly unraveling the mysteries that surround the Everton event, and are meeting lots of new friends along the way. Well, friends of a sort. The pecking kind. When we last left them, the much-maligned housing committee had requested a tithe, and hideous, headless, misshapen gray creatures had descended upon the native inhabitants of this place and had begun to excise their proverbial pound of flesh. That's what all the screaming is about. Let's jump right back in and see what happens next. Uh, Harris? On me. Follow my lead. What are you going to do? You said not to get involved. It's a woman's prerogative, Harris. And you've already involved yourself. Just follow my lead. Hey, ugly! Did I mention that Agent Washington was a hell of a shot? All sorts of small arms marksman awards during her time with the agency. Here she goes. Washington squares her shoulders and fires a shot into the center mass of one of the headless creatures. The tither didn't like that. It turns emitting a guttural shriek from the jagged metal maw jutting out of its neckline. The other tithers also turned toward the agents, leaving behind the wounded and dead creatures. Jesus, Washington! What the hell was that? That was the plan? Blast the enormous robot zombie outworlder and hope for the best? That wasn't exactly what Agent Washington had in mind. In her mind, she'd pictured the beast atomizing from the round, Something that had happened on Venus 2 during the Panagian Surge of 2012. But that's another tale. The additional downside of not atomizing this beast with a single shot is that the agents have now also drawn the attention of the Tither's Handler, a slender beast with ropey muscle and hooded, shrewd eyes. Earthwalkers? Beyond the dome? It speaks. Good for you. Call these goons off if you don't want the next round finding its way into your belly. Harris, unload into this maniac on my command. Calm yourself, Earthwalker. Why have you strayed so far from Everton? Shouldn't you be under the dome with the others? You know these lands are dangerous for your kind. Surely the committee... Everton? We just left Everton. 
No, 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 this will not do. No need for discussion. Four must decide. Tithers, detain our guests. We'll bring them to I-7 Alpha 12. Their fates will find them there. Mind their soft carapaces. We don't need any more mishaps like last time. Oh no, we're not going anywhere with you freaks. We're the ones holding the guns. That will not be a problem. Although Agent Washington was able to empty her clip into the beasts, and Harris had done a fair job too of leaving brass on the ground, the tithers were hardly deterred from their grim task. Washington and Harris were snatched up, their arms bound to their sides by the tithers' hulking, pincer-like limbs, and they were carried off and up into the air, squirming and writhing like worms in a bird's beak. Honey, I'm home. Darling dearest, Margie. In the kitchen. Ah, there you are, my love. What a day. The office is an absolute asylum right now. Federal filings, permits, vendor contracts, union kickbacks. Who would have thought building the world of tomorrow would be such a chore? It's so good to be home. Margaret and Ernie's little slice of heaven was one of those narrow kitchens that more plays at being a kitchen than actually being one. In reality, it resembles a morgue with its cold and colorless formica countertops and the compulsory but sterile and lifeless porcelain-covered appliances. When Ernie enters, Margaret has her back to him. She's attending to a large pot on the stove, and the lovely smell of home-cooked Americana has filled the kitchen. Ernie comes up behind his new wife and wraps his arms around her belly and nuzzles into her neck, just behind the ear. That smells just divine. I'm glad. You know what the best part of today was? What's that? Right now, walking through that door, seeing you standing here, sunlight in your hair. What's wrong? It's nothing. It's something. It doesn't seem like nothing. What is it, dear? Ernie gently turns his lovely wife, concern clouding his face. What a guy, our Ernie. I just... I'm just tired, Ernie. Beat. Never felt like this before. Let me guess. Spent all day in the garden, right? I did. Well, there you go. Look at you, hon. You're all sorts of rosy red. You've gotten a sunburn. Have you ever had a sunburn? A sunburn? Well, sure. A sunburn. I don't suppose it's a problem where you come from, but here, you've got to be careful. It'll knock you right out. Tell you what, when I go into town tomorrow, I'll get you a sun hat. A nice big brim. You'll be able to stay out all day without nary a worry. Doesn't that sound swell? Sure. A sun hat. Then it's settled. A sun hat for what ails ya? What's on the menu? Chicken noodle soup. In the middle of summer? Is that wrong? It was on your list. No. No, chicken noodle soup is fine. It's just... Just what? Well, it's a, it's a winter dish. You make it when you're feeling cold or under the weather. It's supposed to bolster your spirits. It's, it's hot and, uh... Oh. Margie. 
What's really going on? What's troubling you? I want you to take it off. Take it off? Oh. Does it hurt? <laughs> does it matter if it hurts? I want it off. I want you to take it off. I don't want to feel like this. I don't feel like myself anymore. Alright, honey. Just tell me what's wrong. Why the sudden change of heart? You were feeling fine this morning. No, Ernie. I was not feeling fine this morning. I haven't felt fine since this yoke has been placed around my neck. I feel numb. Constricted. It's like... Like what? It feels wrong. It feels like someone has taken my heart and crushed it into powder. It feels like someone has taken everything beautiful and covered it in ash and dust. It feels like... Like I'm a prisoner. I don't understand. I thought we agreed. No, Ernie. I agreed. Because I love you. Because I wanted to be with you. To share your world with you. But this isn't sharing. This is... I don't know what this is. I'm trying to understand, hon. I just... How could you understand? How could you ever understand? How could I have ever thought that you could understand? That we could ever be... <laughs> Margaret, you don't mean that. I love you. I'd do anything for you. This little charm is bringing us together, not tearing us apart. It's the tie that binds, my love. Can't you see that? Oh, Ernie. Ernie, sometimes I think you forget. I'm not of this world. No. I can never forget that. Just like I can never forget the first time I saw you. Or the first time we kissed. Or how you make me feel every day. I can never forget that either. But this is something different. This is about us making our way. You think that I want you to be unhappy? Of course not. You know us, my people. You know what could happen if you were untethered. I'd start to... to... to want things. Want you to crinkle your nose at my problems. To snap your fingers and make it all go away. And it's not just me. If they ever found out. I... I know. Ernie. No, I don't think you do. You know a lot about us. Know our hearts better than we do, probably. But I don't know if you know the darkness that hides there. I don't know if you know what could happen if you were discovered. You and your gifts. So you want to pretend? Is that it? A life of pretend? Pretend? Yes. Maybe that's what I want. To pretend. To forget. To just come home, eat dinner with you like normal folks do. And talk about all the things that are right in the world. But that's not honest, is it? What do you mean? Things aren't right in your world. I see it. I hear it on the wind. I can feel it. Your world cries out every day. There is so much trouble. In this little world. So much pain. It's not at all like you said. Are you saying that I 
That I deceived you? Tricked you? No. I'm not saying that, Ernie. I knew a great many things about your world when we first met. Knew about your pain. And the hard parts. You. Your heart. That's why I stayed. I saw in your heart so many wonderful things. Sad things, yes. Those too. But so much wonder. And hope. And faith that things could be better. You are... The reason, Ernie. That I wanted to come back. To try again. You know... When Eddie went... Over there... I thought I'd lose my brother. We never had much growing up. Lots of the hard that you're talking about. But we always had each other. And when I thought I might never see him again... I felt hopeless. Felt bound to a fate worse than death. Felt like there was nothing I could do to change the world. Felt... Like a prisoner? (sighs) Yeah. I guess it's the sum of it, all right. But the war ended. Eddie found his way home. We had another shot at making our way in the world. I had hope again. I felt like we had a new lease on life. Like we had a real future ahead of us. The light of hope cast shadows hard to see. You talk so poetically, love. I just wish the sentiment wasn't always so... sad. Honesty bears our sadness with ease. If only we'll let it. Honesty? What's that supposed to mean? Honesty is a sham. And you knew what I was asking when you agreed to bear your burden. I'll take my own little fantasy over a sham honesty any day of the week. You don't want me to take it off, do you, Ernie? You'd rather I... No, Margaret. I don't. And yes, I would rather you did. I'm sorry. But that's how I feel. Woo! Heavy. Now, let's get you back to the present, where our two brave but very misfortunate agents have been snatched up and bound by a far different device and brought to processing camp I-7-Alpha-12. The camp is a hopeless place, where tall chain-link fences topped with dark, tangled razor wire line the approaching road. Beyond the fence, one can just barely make out the slow movement of people gathered in line and trudging with labored steps toward what looks like a wrecked and crumbling mine. One immediately imagines breaking stones with a sledgehammer, and they're not necessarily people per se, but rather the harried and pitiful inhabitants of this scorched and bitter land beyond the dome. Lucky for our agents, though, they weren't taken into the long lines stretching through the maze of fences and into that scarred earth, but rather toward a leaning and beaten trailer, a trailer that is seemingly sinking slowly into the muddy black earth beneath. We've arrived, your royal highnesses. In you go. Who have we here, Stifles? Guests to the outworld? Found them by Shoresville, Boss 4. Outland, beyond the dome. Attacked my tithers during their daily collection. 
Damaging Everett Bro's limited property, huh? That is a grave offense. But surely you both know that, don't you? <laughs> We're new to the block. Uh, haven't gotten our orientation packet yet. Ah, <laughs> oh, comedian. But I can assure you, Earthwalker, there's nothing funny about disrupting the tithes. Tithes? Is that what you're calling it? It looks like killing to me. It speaks and questions. I have questions too, Earthwalker. I take it you don't get a lot of visitors here. Visitors? No. We used to see many of your kind this way. Before days. Before the days of blood and bone. Before the dome. But then, the decree from Lord Everton. Or, rather, Mayor Everton, as he says. The Outland was fraught with peril after the uprisings. And, well, let's face it, it seemed your kind weren't too fond of... Well, us. Not unless we were bound in serving or licking your boots. So who's writing the checks for this little operation? <laughs> a wicked tongue in this one. Well, my dear, a fella's gotta eat, right? And my kind have always looked favorably upon the flesh that it now consumes. And occasionally, the job provides me opportunities like this. Exacting my own little revenge on your kind. I may not be winning the war, but it sure feels good to win a battle or two now and again. And besides, your screams, they are delightful. Uh, that, 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 that would be... Look, I, I know that must seem like a great idea, but you really don't want to do that. We're here, Agent Washington and I, from, uh, how can I say this? From a long ways away. And we are here to get to the bottom of this whole Everton thing, and we can help you. Your kind, or whatever this place is. We're here to make sure- I've heard it all before, Earthwalker. I remember many like you during the uprising. Organizing, they said. Those fools who stood against the mayor and his men. Against their monsters. We are not who you think we are. Don't bother with your pretty words, Walker. I've seen your kind before, and I know what it is to find you outside of the dome, wandering the outland. You've made your last wandering into our lands. You know, I thought maybe I'd seen the last of your kind. So many rounds of the clock have passed since one of you has ventured this far out. Easy to get lost out here. Treacherous land. Bears man or not, easy to be lost. To fall into the clutches of those awaiting the tithe. I doubt you'll hardly be missed, if at all. Wait just a fucking minute. You don't know who you're messing with. <laughs> oh, I do love your spirit, Earthwalker. I've always admired that about you humans. You're all so special. And do you ever put on a fucking show? Not that we'd know. Not since the dome came down. No more Sunday funnies, radio, or TV for us in the Outland. Just cast off, like you walkers are so wont to do. But no bother. We've come up with our own entertainment. Right, Stifles? That's right, boss. We sure have. A show unlike any other. What? Like a puppet show? <laughs> Stifles. He said a puppet show. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, you're really in for it, Red. I don't get it. What show is he? Jesus, Harris, use your imagination. We're the show. Stifles, bind our guests, toss them into the pit, and ready the guard neck. She hasn't enjoyed in sport in many rounds, but tonight she will feast on these Earthwalkers' blood. Hey everyone, it's Pacific, here with a quick ad break. Alright, that's it. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So, what the fuck am I looking at here, Mars? I wish I could tell you, boss, more than anything. But your guess is as good as mine. Hmm, fair enough. Well, how are you gonna get rid of it? It's, a, uh, it's pretty big. Get rid? Jeez, boss, I don't know. Shouldn't we call the authorities something? I mean, this isn't normal. And what exactly, Mars? Tell them a giant squid thing fell out of the sky and ate someone? It's what happened, isn't it? That may be, but I can assure you that kind of story wouldn't really go over well. Us being a thousand miles from any ocean and all. And let's face it, it would, uh, lead to a lot of questions. Questions that we'd rather not have to answer. God, it's ugly. Tumors, it's covered in them. See all that discoloration? That purple and black along the spine? There's something awfully wrong about this thing. Cancer, maybe. I don't really know. I had an uncle who used to fish the Kenai River up near Anchorage. I recall him talking about colors like these. Said fish like these popped up after the test the government had done up there. Said they'd just toss them back. Is it safe to toss cancerous fish back into the ocean? Natural order, ain't it? I suppose so. So if we're not going to call the authorities, what do you want me to do? Well, first things first, I need you to open this beast up and see if you can't find Grover Parsons or what remains of him tucked inside. Wait, you want me to... I'm not finished, Mars. There's more. After you've gutted this fucking thing and cleaned up whatever remains of Mr. Parsons, I want you to take this to Conway. See if he can, I don't know, tell us where this thing came from and if it has anything to do with those energy wells or the siphons. Maybe he can make sense of it. Jeez, Mr. Everton, I'll cut it up all right. Do I have to bring it to Conway's? You know that place gives me the heebie-jeebies. That Conway is a kook. That may be so, Mars, but you're the sheriff, and this is what needs doing. You're also the one who ended this beast, and if it reanimates, like that last little gift from the great beyond, then I want you there to put it down again. Is that understood? Naturally, sir. Great. Knew I could count on you, Mars. Maybe you should put together a little contingent. Men that you can call on to help with these little problems. Sure, that sounds like a good move. Men of great discretion, Mars. We don't know what's happening right now. Conway will likely know soon enough, so we'll have answers. But until then, let's keep this and the other thing close to the vest. Sound like the right thing? Sure, I'll take care of it, boss. Good man. If anything else needs doing, get with Ernie. I've had my fill for the day. Understood. I guess this liver ain't gonna chop itself up now, is it? Mars doesn't like what he's seeing. Yes, the beast didn't take all that well to the full chamber of 44 magnum rounds that he'd put into it. But then again, those bulging tumors and the pulsing growths seem to make its terminal mortality mostly uncertain. He couldn't say the same for Grover Parsons, though. He'd seen Parsons split cleanly in two before disappearing into this beast's beak-like maw. But either or anyway, Mars is a man of action, 
and one who follows orders without question, so long as those orders are for the greater good. Just the same, he can't help but thinking that maybe having one of his new recruits doing the excising and removal of old Grover might be the way to go. It'd sure save his boots. Well, this ain't looking all that great for us, Harris. <laughs> Just to be clear, we're about to be fed to the Gardak. Is that right? The Gardnak. There's an N. And no, you're not being fed to her. You're battling the Gardnak. She will likely consume you after she's bested you, though. She only rarely devours her prey while still living. But yeah, for the most part, that's right. The Gardnak will be feasting on your flesh. So, what's the deal with the battling? Does that mean we'll get weapons that will be released from our chains? Weapons? Did the Romans give weapons to the bears and the boars? Did our kind get weapons when your kind made sport of us? You two are resourceful. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Or... Or... Or you won't. No skin off my teeth. I never understood that phrase. No skin off my teeth. It's because Stifles here has it all wrong. The saying is, it's no skin off my nose. Or... By the skin of my teeth. Somewhere along the line, the two got muddled, and apparently, muddled metaphors can travel into the furthest reaches of the multiverse. Ah, that makes sense. Did you catch that? Great. Learn something new every day. You Earthwalkers are full of useless trivia. Enough for now, though. We've arrived at our final destination. Gonna unshackle us? What fun would that be? It'd be fair. Fair? Aren't you adorable? Wait here, walkers. I'll return for you when your time in the arena has come. Agents Washington and Harris's final destination is... Well, it's a cage. Four sides and a top. Underfoot is a sloppy, almost soupy black mud. The cage itself is built of sturdy but weathered and well-used steel. We can be pretty sure that those are indeed blood stains along the bars where the last occupants had tried frantically to claw, kick, or bash their way out. They likely had little success. Immediately outside of the cage is a long and winding maze of barbed wire fence, interspersed here and there by hastily built wooden walls. The maze appears to lead toward a large open area that will function as the gladiatorial arena or burial ground whichever you like. The agents sit here for a long while. They can't actually see much beyond the maze, but they can hear what must certainly be a large motley crowd of offlanders slowly gathering into the arena at the end of that twisting maze. As the sun slowly sets, purpling the sky just beyond their view and chilling the wet mud, the agents silently wait, growing cold, hungry, and anxious for their captor to return. Eventually, the silence is broken by the wet slapping of familiar footsteps. It's showtime, Harris. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Hello, walkers. Are we ready for tonight's game? A solemn silence passes between the two agents. Their eyes take in the lecherous figure standing on the other side of the bars. A thin yellow smile stretches across the battered face. Don't look so forlorn, humans. You want to give our spectators some hope, don't you? Put on a good show? And what good would that do us? <laughs> None, I suppose. 
But it is your natural state, isn't it? So full of yourselves, so filled with hope and promise, so masterful. That makes it so much more satisfying watching the fall before the destruction. I can't wait to watch you bleed. What, you're not betting on us? <laughs> Such a shame you couldn't stay with us longer, Red. You are a funny one. Get ready. All right, Earthwalkers, your time has come. Rise and meet your fate. Lead the way, shitbag. That's more like it. There's that spunk. Mind the wire now, wouldn't want you harmed before your big debut. <laughs> Stifles leads the agents, who follow closely behind through the twisted paths of the barbed wire labyrinth. As they approach a fork in the maze, one that takes them out of sight of the main arena, Washington turns back to Harris and signals her intentions. Harris, though, well, he's Harris and a rookie. And let's face it, folks, Washington is on her own here. As Stifles starts to lead them down the left side... Now! Washington springs forward and wraps the chain of her shackles around Stifles' neck. There's no small amount of cunning or craft bound into Washington's diminutive frame, folks. She's a deadly killer when she has to be. Looks like you should have unshackled me when you had a chance, you piece of shit. Fuck you, Walker! Stifles tries mightily to wrangle himself out of Washington's grasp, clawing at her face, kicking into the sloppy ground. But this girl is on fire, if you know what I mean, and means to end their captivity right here. Washington plants her knee into Stifles' lower back and lowers her mouth to his ear. The Gardnack will be feasting on your narrow ass tonight, fuckface. And I'll see you in hell. And then with one final violent wrestling motion, Washington snaps their captor's neck. He's not... is he? Unless he's breathing through his asshole, he most definitely is. See if he's got anything on him. On him? Yes, Harris. On him. Pat him down. Keys, a weapon. Love letters to his gal. Anything on him. For the love of God. Right. Uh, let me check. Keys. Keys. More keys. Nothing. This fucker has nothing on him. Check back by your cell. You saw the strongbox near the door? See what's inside. We might get lucky. No. Move, Harris. I've got to dump this heap of shit somewhere out of sight. Time is of the essence. That Washington is one smart cookie. That strongbox had more than just the keys to their shackles. It also had Harris's Glock. Washington's was missing, but there was a Mark IV plasma projection pistol. Some serious alternate universe hardware that Washington had actually come across during a time leap mission that she'd been on in the future past. Look what I found. My gun. In the keys, maybe. Whatever this thing is. It's a Mark IX plasma projection pistol, and you're holding it upside down. Give me that thing, and let's get the fuck out of here. What'd you do with... you know... I kept my promise. The Gardnack won't have a full belly, but she'll have a little something to snack on. Jesus, man, you are a badass. I can't believe what you did back there. That was... What? That was brutal. What's wrong? Something I said? Are you alright? No. Yes. I'm not sure. Just coming down off the adrenaline, maybe. Uh, That was a lot. You're a regular oracle, aren't you, Harris? It's all a lot, isn't it? We're far from home, we're going backwards on the case, and we almost got eaten by a gardnack. Whatever the fuck that is. 
I'm kind of freaking out. Just real quick, give me a second. I... I understand. You understand? Oh, that's rich. Tell me what you understand, Harris. You actually seem pretty calm all of a sudden, all things considered. It's like you said, right? Either we can freak out over every little thing, or we can accept whatever comes our way and try to solve this fucking case. That's some good advice, rookie. And let's face it. I've got one badass motherfucker watching my back. I'm in a pretty good place. Whoa. Easy on the motherfucker. No, my bad. But you know, badass for sure. I ever tell you about my first case? The fuck-all episode of the Firmsdale factory fire? No, but I've heard the rumors. The rumors, huh? I'll bet you have. Lay it on me. What happened? It was back in 07. I was shadowing a senior agent. My mentor, Percival Robinson. He died in that factory fire, right? Yes. He did. I was there. I probably shouldn't have been. Just like you shouldn't be here. This mission, that mission, too much for a green agent. But I was there. Call it fate, destiny, or just bad luck. But you made it out. I did. Barely. And the jury's still out on whether or not I should have been there at all. It was Agent Robinson that made the call. You know what I liked about Agent Robinson? What? He was a student of the agency and a masterful tactician. He possessed one of those rare minds that can account for every possible contingency. A mind unburdened by minutia. He knew everything about the Firmsdale factory. The ingresses and egresses, the principles, the rotations of the patrols. He'd hacked their security, had stolen entry passwords, looped their camera feeds. He'd done everything imaginable. Shit, man. He'd been tracking them for years planning the operation for months before I ever set foot inside the agency. He'd planned for every imaginable situation. But not a fire. Oh, no. He planned for a fire, too. I came across it in the after-action report. He was well aware of the danger, the potential for conflagration. But that's the point. The point is, once he'd breached security and had gotten in situ... His plan started to fall apart, and, well, sometimes when things fall apart, you've got to react. Without thinking, without planning. I was good at that. Reacting. And when shit went sideways, and the whole place started to go up, I trusted my gut and made the right moves. Robinson? Robinson relied on his plan B. And then his plan C. And then his plan D, and he burned. Jesus, Washington, that's rough. A hell of an introduction to the agency. Wait, is the moral that preparing for everything isn't good? No, kid. There's no moral. It's just me telling you that sometimes things don't make sense, and you just have to act. Act smart, and act quickly. And if you hesitate, you're dead. I'll try to remember that. Don't try, Harris. Do it. I'm no Percival Robinson, and I'm hardly a mentor, but I know what it's like to be hung out on your first mission. I've been in your shoes. That's all I'm saying. They are part of agency dress code. (laughs) I like you, kid. Now let's get the fuck out of this dump 
and see if we can't wrap this bitch up and get home in time for dinner. And so Agents Harris and Washington make it to Processing Camp I-7-Alpha-12's entrance. It looks different in just the short time since their arrival. Apparently their absence from the arena and Stifle's disappearance have not gone unnoticed. Ahead, several tall flood lamps cast long shadows on innumerable idle tithers standing guard. On their left, they also see a light on in Four's trailer, and they can see his figure pacing back and forth in the window, occasionally casting a glance out at the entrance. Do you think those things can see us? See us? I don't think so. I don't know, though. Their biology is really hard to pin down. And either way, I think they're controlled by some kind of hive mind. I'm sure Four is at the controls. Yeah, world's most fucked up zombies. No doubt. So here's our options as I see them. The gates are open, likely for the show. And it's only a matter of time until the arena goers start making their way out. We can try to go then. Maybe by blending into the crowd we can pass unnoticed. Or we can wait. Find a good hiding spot. Wait until everything dies down, and then try to sneak out then. Won't they be looking for us? Aren't they already? There's little doubt about that. That's why I like option three, the reactive option. Okay, and what's that? We blast our way out. In our odds? Well... But as Agents Washington and Harris debate the merits of blasting their way out, they notice a familiar blue glow approaching from just beyond the gate. Is that...? Pasha floats a few feet off the ground, as if gliding through space, propelled forward by the lack of any real gravity. As Pasha approaches the camp, the tithers standing by begin twitching and emitting gravelly groans. They seem troubled by their visitor, but unsure of exactly what to do. Then, almost in concert... They burst into action and start toward Pasha, who's peacefully floating just outside the gates. Guess that's our ticket out. You called. Let's move. Humans! You'll pay for your treachery, for Stifle's blood stains your hands. Gardnak still awaits your flesh! This fucking guy. Four grabs a small black box off of his belt and fidgets with it. It's not hard for our heroes to see what his little black box does. He is locking down. The perimeter fences begin to rattle back into place, shutting them in, and the agents can hear the steady, cacophonous rising of unseen tithers, their metallic wings beating, making their way to their position. Have no fear, friends. Well, at least we've still got Pasha. A friend in need, as they say. Eh, probably not the worst thing to have in a place like this. So, how are we... Pasha's just getting warmed up too, friends. Gradually floating higher into the sky, the tithers on the outside of the gate now almost in reach of Pasha's sky-black skin. Pasha opens their hands and releases a blinding blast of blue-green energy. While the agents and four are left unharmed, the tithers have been sent into paroxysms of pain and agony. This way! You filthy walkers! I'll have your blood for this! Agent Washington has heard enough out of this slaver and traitor, though, and halts her progress for the two beats that it takes to stop, set, and put one beautifully placed plasma round right into Four's center mass. There will be no more tithing from processing Camp I-7-Alpha-12, at least not until they hire a new foreman. 
Our agents and their pal Pasha make their way back along the old coast road. Past the concrete slabs and the steel fences of the processing camp, a wide wooded area opens up, one that the agents had passed on their way in. Pasha leads them off the old coast road and into a thick and alien forest. Although the woods are immense and infinitely dark, the agents are able to follow Pasha's blue, otherworldly glow. Pasha, where are you taking us? A safe place, friend. Have no fear. Follow me. Last time we followed you, you you brought us to a well that dropped us into another alternate universe. Is that right, Washington? Are we settled on an alternate universe? Sure, kid. Alternate universe. A true fact. This is a fun game. Can I say something true? Sure. I'm very glad you're both here. I thought I'd lost you. I think that's more of an opinion than a fact. But it is true. Wait a second. The point is, the last time we followed you, we got dumped into the middle of nowhere. Where in the hell are we going? Yes, that is also true. I lost you in the well. It was not supposed to be. You were to accompany me. She awaits. Pasha, are you taking us to see Margaret? Margaret? Yes, Harris, Margaret. Remember Mars? Remember how he was muttering about Margaret right before his... haircut? Oh boy. Is that where we're going? Pasha, is that... where are you taking us? To my lighthouse. To your lighthouse. You have a lighthouse? Yes, I've always had a lighthouse. How else could I guide the way? It is a beacon, both metaphorically and literally. And it is a safe place. You will be safe there. Who gave a cosmonaut a lighthouse? It belonged to Margaret. Now it belongs to me. Margaret, Margaret, Margaret. Brady Bunch? Nice work, rookie. You get a star. All will be revealed soon, friends. But first... Seemingly suddenly, and with no pretext, the agents and their guide find themselves in front of a large stone tower. It only vaguely resembles a lighthouse. It more closely resembles a castle turret, or a large stone spire, or just a pile of rocks, depending on how you look at it. Its shape seems in constant flux, malleable, hard to discern, and won't hold still long enough for the agents to figure out what it is that they're seeing. Whoa... This thing is giving me the squiggles. Pasha, what is this? Humans, for possessing such vivid imaginations, you do seem to sometimes lack the ability to perceive that which is so painfully obvious. (laughs) Funny. Is it? It is, but not in the way you're thinking. How are we supposed to get in? Oh, that's easy. Just let the idea of a door take shape in your mind. Just like the idea of a lighthouse is trying to manifest in your mind, if only you'd let it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm having a really hard time doing that. Every time I look at this thing, it feels like something is squishing my head. You're looking at it too closely, friends. Trying to look by not looking. I... I don't think that makes sense, Pasha. What do you think, Washington? What are you seeing? I think I'm seeing something lighthouse-ish. Maybe it'd be better if we just imagine the inside? Would that work? If you can't imagine a door, perhaps... Wait, no, I got it. There it is. You got what? It's like one of those idiotic pictures that show dolphins jumping out at you. You just kind of look at it, 
you just kind of look at it down the end of your nose and then your eyes cross and goes all blurry and then BAM! There it is! Yes! Yes! That's the way! I'm so excited! Please, come in! Here goes nothing. Ready, Wash? Oh, jeez, I'm terrible at these things. You might have to let me in once you get in there. Margaret's Garden was written by Pacific Asobadaya and Jonathan Goldberg. Script editing done by Frankie Serrano. Our narrator is Graham Rowitz. Margaret is Jordan Cobb. Eddie is Zach Labrusco. Ernie is Atticus Jackson. Washington is Risa M. Harris is Russell Moore. Pasha is Tanya Miljovic. Mars is Eric Kemp. Stifles is Ezra Wayne. Four is Louis Bermudez. Lizardo is Dana Creesman. Our composer is Danny Sweet. And I'm your sound designer, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our producers are Brad Miska and Tom Owen. Visit margaretspodcast.com for more information.